Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eves. And I'm Hannah Hutzfer. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll only be interviewing flipping Jasmine Gardosi. And we'll be hearing a poem from Ken Cumberledge. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode, where we'll be chatting about Rebel Without Applause by Lem Cisse, and that will be out later this month. But first, what have you been up to since the last episode? Rebecca, how about you? Well, have I been weirdly productive, even though I had COVID and was kind of out of action for a good chunk of the month, as people who listened to the last episode will have heard, where I was just like, yeah, I didn't feel like editing this, so (laughs) I can't have it on time, sorry. (laughs) I just didn't feel like doing it. But um, yeah, apart from that, I did, it was also my birthday. Um, Happy birthday. And uh, on my birthday, I went to Big Trouble in Rochester, which is uh, run by David Dykes. And I was one of the features and it was a fantastic night and everybody was really lovely. And actually it was a very, I did nothing all day and then went down and did a poetry gig. And I I recommend it. It was a really good way to spend my birthday. Mm -hmm. Nice. And, uh, and then following day, we went for karaoke, which was great. It turns mm-hmm. out, unsurprisingly, performance poets good at karaoke. Oh, um, really? What did you do? Yeah. Oh, I'm not saying I was good at karaoke. I'm, I'm okay. an exception to that rule. I did Shania Twain, That Don't Impress Me Much, on the basis okay. that I can't sing. Okay. So I need a song where the personality is going to distract mm. from the fact that I can't sing. And I can mm-hmm. actually yeah. wait through yeah, that. That's a solid choice. Tyrone and Harry from the Boomerang team came along and were, were excellent, e- really on it. Particularly with the rap stuff. You know, normally someone says they're mm-hmm. going to do rap at karaoke and you're yeah. like, oh God. Yeah. Nope, nope. Tyrone and Harry really nailed it. It was nailed great. It. Yeah. Um, well, I bet they can. I was at karaoke the day before yesterday. We had someone do The Circle of Life, which was a total dud. It's such a long, actually quite boring song. And then someone else try and do Satisfied from Hamilton. As you say, challenging, challenging. Mm. Um, I tell you what, actually, my editor's husband, Shane, knocked out a very good version of You'll Be Back from Hamilton. Mm. Like, actually genuinely really good. Yeah, I can see that. So, yeah. Damn. Oh, I'm just so gutted to miss it. Oh, I will do it again. Yeah, like two days before your birthday I found out I'd been in the same room as someone who had just tested positive so I had a very cautious and boring Ugh. Easter just in case although I didn't actually so counting blessings etc oh well thank you for being thank you for being boring and cautious for us we appreciate that you are welcome but I, I would love to at some point get to a karaoke with performers the first time I ever was like oh yeah no I get the point of this was at the Edinburgh Fringe where everyone's a show off mm. and suddenly suddenly it's a lot of fun as opposed to just, I don't like Robbie Williams mm-hmm. and you can't hit that note. But, wow. sorry, sorry, controversial. No, I, I have warmed up to it. I was raised by acoustic, folky Puritans. So it took me quite a while to sort of see why and how it's fun, if that makes sense, as opposed to just, you know. Not I honestly about. was not, I'd never, I was never into karaoke and I turned like 31 or, yeah, just before the pandemic was like, I want to do karaoke. I just had this, this <laughs> urge. And then, and then it got postponed because of the pandemic. So yeah, it was kind of, and like loads of my friends yeah. were just like, yes, we need to do this. So yes, <laughs> it happened. I've, um, I've now got a little Spotify playlist every time I spot something where I'm like that oh that would work 
So, yeah, Ooh, I, I, nice. I am prepared with my little list. But yeah, apart from that, by the time this goes out, I will also have done a featured set at Process Productions Open Mic Night, which Ooh. is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So by the time this goes out, I will have done it, which I'm really looking forward to. It should be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good night. It's going to be me and uh, Jamal Hassan, who, former podcast mm-hmm. guest who's now kind of performing under the name Kid and Nancy. So, yeah, that should be that should be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good month. Up and, it's been an up and down month for me. Yeah. I have completely not done Napa Rymo at all. I'm very ashamed of myself, but there we go. There's still time, I suppose. Yeah, so, you yeah. can knock out 30 poems in five days. Yeah, go for it. Uh, so, Laurie, what have you been up to? It's been a good month. We are beginning to set up everything and get the stars aligned and the spaceships in place for this month, this month, this year's Vogon Slam, Woo! which is going to be taking place in just a few Woo! weeks' time, in exactly one month time from when we're recording this, on the 25th of May. I'm going to talk a little bit about it a little bit later, but we've... We had our usual little trickle of interest from a few poets who want to break out their nerdy, geeky, terrible poetry dredged from the bottom of their sleeping bag. And then Hannah did her usual telling the official Tauday people, and suddenly it's gone mad on (laughs) Facebook and leapt from about 30 people interested to about 300, which is always the way with that and it's a bit crazy but exciting so we'll talk about that a bit more in the notice board set been getting some rejections from journals that's been fun the good old classics um and we had genesis slam at the beginning of the month which bethany g down won this month which was great it was good fun and we're running that again shortly napo rimo has been a weird one for me rebecca in the I started the month being like, yep, gonna give this a go, gonna try writing some poems. Started writing some fairly normal, fairly straightforward poems for me. And then I have found myself just basically exclusively writing sonnets about the 1998 PlayStation game Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> that is all I've been doing with my Napo Rimo, which has been a bit of a strange one, but it's just kept happening. They keep falling out of me. These stupid little sonnets. Largely, I'm just impressed that you can mine that much material out of something quite specific. It's very niche. Yeah. And I've I've never been able to make anything work with sonnets. Like, yeah, I'm very impressed that that the sonnets are just flowing. Like that's bananas. It's really weird, but also it's quite helpful with writing sonnets because they're quite short. You can don't have to try too much. But I, yeah, it's interesting. Like I it's been. To, I have to confess, I'm a little scared of sonnets. Like, yeah, I just, I me find too. Them a bit intimidating. So me too. I, yeah. So I'm like, why did I choose to start writing <laughs> endless sonnets about Metal Gear Solid? But it just seems to have happened. So there you go. It's just been interesting. It's been fun to play with form. I've enjoyed that. It's been a weird <laughs> exercise experiment don't really know but it just keeps happening so that's what i'm doing at the minute been reading a lot actually hannah lowe's collection the kids i read which hannah gordon lent to me which is all sonnets which is pretty good kim moore's new collection and i've been reading carolyn forche's older collections as well it's been fun how about you hannah i've had a relatively quiet one i honestly don't think i've attended a single in-person thing since we last spoke. I have insight what I run was last week at time of recording with the special guest Linda McMahon, who I first heard mm-hmm. at the Edinburgh Fringe about 10 years ago. 
and was just okay. delighted to be able to book them. They are disgustingly wholesome. <laughs> they are very <laughs> uplifting and often nature-based and a lot of stuff. One of the things they've got is like a love poem to a part of the body that they don't particularly like and it's like absolutely like thing to make you fall in love Which with part? your stomach. You can't say that and not specify the, the body parts. S- stomach which did you know has more neurons in it the human gut than a cat's brain whoa that's weird i'm gonna be saying what if it's a really smart cat well the next time my cat absolutely loves my tummy and is always doing the kind of squidgy claws (laughs) thing on it so the next time i do i'll be like susan that tummy is smarter than you so treat it nicely anywho but yeah i've done a little bit of naparimo um not i feel i feel like Although I have definitely not written even close to a poem every day, I think just having mm-hmm. the awareness that I should be on the lookout for inspiration has been useful. Yeah. And I've got at mm-hmm. least one th- one finished thing that I'm quite pleased with about... Yeah. Yeah. Digging in my garden, I've realised that all the shards of glass and now crockery that I keep finding are the Blitz. I'm in East London. Right. Initially, I was like, well, someone broke a window. Someone broke a window. This is a completely different glass. This is China. This is more different China. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. that cross... That with the horrible headlines at the moment and just the fact that this isn't going to turn into... I I mudlark. I love, like, beachcombing and stuff. But, like, this inland broken stuff isn't going to turn into nice, rounded forms in the future is just always going to be sharp and here and there is much more of that happening over there right now and it's a weird angle to take but it's the one that is literally in my backyard so and then the moment i wrote it i worried that you need to find the right tone for that i think i got away with it but i i'm gonna keep prodding it until i'm convinced that i'm not yeah. cheapening a war <laughs> um <laughs> Well, yeah, that's but, yeah. that's important, isn't it? Yeah. Officially, the yeah. worst performance poem on Ukraine has already been written. It was that video that went viral. It was that actress from 90210. Oh, I have not it seen was, it. That was... Oh, God, it was terrible. It was just the worst thing. And it, you know when like somebody's doing performance poetry and it's so bad and so viral and you're like, please stop making the rest of us look terrible. It was very early in the invasion where she was saying, I don't think she's a poet generally, but she was she did a whole performance poem about like, if I were your mother, Putin, you wouldn't behave like this because I would, I would have loved you properly so you wouldn't need to behave like this. Our mystery guest is, is pulling a proper face of horror. It's a good face. Horror. It's a good yeah. <laughs> Let's blame the mothers. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Women are all to blame and it's all about you and your conservative apple pie vision of motherhood. It was very weird. Very, very Ow. weird. So like Funny. yours can't be worse than that is what I'm saying. Like Yeah, the worst so basically you've got a get out of jail free card there, yeah. Hannah. Just write whatever you like. Yeah. I've also found that when I've been out and about, like on my bike or otherwise out of the house and moving, it has been when the most ideas have come to me. So I'm going to try and, I don't know, do that more for all the reasons. (laughs) Mental health, physical health, all of that. Oh, and I am starting a city lit course in poetry. Tomorrow is the first session over Zoom. It it's a bit fancy yeah it was it was my fancy pants birthday present from my other half this is me having looked at a few ma's and gone fuck no i'm not going back into more student debt 
but maybe mm-hmm. starting to try and approach some yeah bits and pieces rather than nine grand fuck me no but yeah my adhd ass really struggles with organizing myself but if there's money on the line i might get it together basically <laughs> so the same way that i fall off naparimo but if i've paid for a thing i will turn up that's that's about it and just getting getting all my intergalactic nerdery lined up for vogons heck yes and and whether or not we can find terrible real life examples to maybe use for example that ukraine one i'll give it a look nice nice lancing of the boil once a year this is really annoying in it yeah cool and yeah mystery guest jasmine gardosi how's your month been up and down like yours Rebecca, um, uh, also struck with the COVID. Yay, um, COVID buddies. Woo! <laughs> Together, but not yeah. <laughs> isolated. So that's been interesting as a freelancer, self-employed means, Ooh. okay, you must not work. <laughs> and it's not the same really as uh, calling in sick, I guess. It's, it's a case of, I must make a moral decision in my soul to cancel this work that's been in the mm-hmm. diary for six months and but yeah it's necessary. i think rest that's the i know rest is so important and then i started testing negative and then i realized great i can go out again went out too soon didn't take care of my body covid said no it forced me back inside fatigue is the worst yeah it's more like it just i got ill i got all the symptoms again but tested negative Ooh. it was weird um <laughs> Yeah, so my throat is still getting incredibly dry whenever I perform, which is really interesting. So I attended the Outspoken Awards in London on Thursday, which was absolutely wonderful. First time out of Birmingham, where I'm based, for a long time, because I've been doing a lot of hiding. And it was beautiful. It was at the South Bank. Just amazing to see so many faces that I've not seen for so long. The, The vibe in the room was amazing. So the reason why I was up is because I won the award in 2020, and Whoop. that meant. But we didn't have a. We didn't have. Oh, I never got my mm. my trophies. So very nicely, the outspoken team invited the 2020 winners up. So we got to collect our awards and also see all the amazing uh, shortlistees for this year as well. So I'm, I'm there performing on stage, and my throat is like Ooh. desert, like towards the. Th- the 75% mark and I, I make it through but I'm like oh my god wow oh my god but it was a gorgeous night really wonderful the, the film shortlists what I noticed specifically when they were they were, they were playing the films is just how amazing the vibe was from all the audience you're, you're watching a screen and there's these whoops and cheers it's just amazing <laughs> just awesome stuff from all the shitties I mean, I think that was something I realised I really missed during the pandemic was whooping. Mm. Like, you mm-hmm. don't make that sort of noise in public <laughs> in any other kind of context. I mean, that sort of <laughs> wordless, just celebratory, like, Ooh. Or in private. I missed it so yeah. much during the pandemic. Yeah, uh, I don't yeah. do it privately either. Like, I don't make a cup of tea and go, whoop! <laughs> Maybe we should, more I celebrating tea. I don't get up I out of me- bed and go, woohoo! Maybe I should, because... <laughs> It's quite an achievement, but yeah. So I also went to a brand new event, Tuesday Just Gone, called Verve Open Door. Yes. Yeah, so as we know, Verve Poetry Festival is an awesome festival that usually happens in July. Mm-hmm. And what they've done, they decided to do is host these monthly spoken word open mics, pure open mics, 
in the jewelry quarter in Birmingham at this place called The Hive Bakery. Anyone Birmingham-based recommend you go to it. It's, it's, I think it's the third Tuesday of every month. Um, it's just nice just to have more like stuff. Like What's really interesting is Birmingham is now like generating new nights rising <laughs> from the ashes of the pandemic. It's mad, isn't it? Like I had a, had a teacher friend ask me the other day, I've got a student who's who's really talented should be getting into spoken word in in London where should you go where should she be going and checking out and I'm like I've no idea I don't know anymore because everywhere that we would have gone mm. to pre-pandemic lots of them haven't come back or if they have they're in a very different form yeah mm. and I will also be heading to Grime Boy which is a play at the rep written by Casey Bailey who is our oh, Birmingham poet laureate who I admire a lot and it's in the name Grime Boy theatre about grime in a theatre isn't that amazing amazing yeah, yeah. so, so good. again anyone who's Birmingham bound check it out Casey's um, collection Please Do Not Touch was amazing mm. we really need to mm. do that as a book club at some point oh yeah mm. oh yes you do awesome right well on that note shall we do an interview let's do an interview This month's interview is with Jasmine Gardosi. Jasmine is a multiple slam champion, beatboxer, Birmingham Poet Laureate finalist and winner of the Outspoken Prize for Poetry. Her work exploring identity, LGBTQ issues and mental health has appeared on Button Poetry, Sky Arts, at the Tate Modern, Glastonbury Festival, across BBC Radio and on America's Public Broadcasting Service. She is a previous writer-in-residence at the Bronte Parsonage Museum, poet-in-residence at the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust and BBC Arts Young Creative. Her poetry, Beatbox and Celtic dubstep show Dancing to Music You Hate explores gender identity and has received straight standing ovations since first being commissioned by Warwick Arts. Centre. Her debut pamphlet Hurts is published by Verve Poetry Press. Jasmine, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Oh. We were wondering if you could kick us off with a poem. Yes, um, I will. So this is a beatbox and po- poetry poem. I was awarded funding from a Sherwood bursary uh, in order to learn beatboxing. So this is my first poem that came from that. <clears throat> This is for the poets, or anyone who has to stand up and speak for the first time, and then every time after that, you know what happens. The way up, the way up, the way our pulse is booming too loud. And the panic is pounding our head. And the blood is blushing our face. And our body has bottled to still. And our... How our... How our being is blocked by our fear. And they both just blend into one. And the pumping buries our voice. Heartbeat just blares over all. It's a... It's a... It's a pistol backfired, bashed up button, bursting piper, broken buzzer, blood cells bounce from pulse to pulse and push the bass like pasta, parcel, busy body, brains are bust, our belly boiling black and blue, bolting back the beta blockers, blitzing boost all blown apart. Back, 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 back. 
Papa, Papa, we people, we problems, we babble like babies till purple, then play back the blabber, then blubber at bumbles, we pass by them bubble, then pop up like paper, we're pulpers of blubber, shut up, shut up, 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 Bounds back by the soundtrack of. Like, what are we more of? Our thoughts or our awkwardness? Why talk when we're so mortified when all we get is cortisol and shorter lives? It's so hard to tell where your ambition starts when there's no end to that ammunition heart of. But. We can. Like, we can, like, we can be them both, though, right? We can be the panic and be the passion. We can bring our baggage and bring our best still. We can be the broken then, be the breakthrough, be the bullied then, bite the bullet. Embrace the beat, play the beat, be the beaten, then be the beat. Beat the bar and then be the bar. Breathe the battlefield, breathe in broader. We big bangs, we bagpipes, we boom boxes, blueprints, we pupils of purpose, we black belts in backbone, be berserk, be bloody bombard, perplex, be bold, be bear, be bad, be boss, be proof, be prone, be proud, be pro, be beast, be boast, be pushed, be pushed, be better, be better, be better. To be better, 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 Bars for days. Yeah, that's awesome. (sighs) Jesus. Before you did it, you said, I'm just going to test the the kick drum or something. Kick drums. Yeah, I I genuinely, I thought I was listening to an instrument at first. I was not 100% clued in. (laughs) It took me a second. I once saw a very, very elderly Uh. lady seeing Bellatrix for the first time and just like walking around her to check if there wasn't something between the the performer and the microphone. (laughs) And then I realised I was doing oh, that man, myself. Yeah. <laughs> Watching. <laughs> actually, I've actually performed on Zoom before, and someone's like, "Oh, I love the drumming." I'm like, "No." Yeah. Plosives, baby. I don't know why. I should just cheat because my table is right here. How's this sound, guys? Not as good, no. not Less anywhere good. near as good. Less okay. good, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> that table is not as good a poet as you are. No. <laughs> How do you feel about that table? Yeah, take that table. Uh, what our listeners don't see is the rest of our jaws just slowly dropping more and more. It's <laughs> amazing. So good. So Thank good. You. So we always like to start off by asking our guests, how did you first get into poetry and, and spoken word particularly? Yeah, I think like a lot of people got into writing very as young as I can 
I think remember being able to write or be creative. I loved rhyming, which is hilarious because I don't really rhyme any much anymore. But that, that's what got <laughs> me into poetry. And you know, when I was like nine, I wanted to be like everyone did, the world's first nine-year-old published writer. As I got a bit older, I realised novels take quite a long time to write. Mm-hmm. They're quite long. Yeah. And I don't. I didn't have the the discipline or patience, or or convincing narrative arc that could hold for that many chapters so poetry was actually this thing which was very short (laughs) by comparison so you can basically say it was laziness Mm. it's very Um, instant gratification isn't it you're like look i wrote the thing and you get praise and claps for it very quickly exactly i i do play long games but Mm. not like that (laughs) or not yet anyway (laughs) so it was actually when i was at school my high school my high school was very lucky. I was very lucky to have a creative writing society, which could, right. which we did prose, like, like short fiction. We could bring what, oh, poetry. We could bring whatever. And but the mm. distinctive thing about it, that got me into spoken word, is that they we would they organised like a termly like reading for us, mm-hmm. where our teachers could come along, like very nice, the nice, the really the ones who want to give up an evening to listen yeah. to like uh, students read something out and our parents could come along and I realised that when we were, we were reading this stuff out I thought okay I'm going to make this as entertaining as possible like to listen to not to read mm-hmm. but to listen mm-hmm. to and then the next term I said okay I'm going to actually purposefully write a piece so that it's actually great to listen to Yeah. and hear and then the, the term after that I was told by the, the teacher who, one of the teachers who ran it, Chris Hope, uh, the society, that, you know, this is actually, that's actually got a name for that, what you do. Mm-hmm. It's called performance poetry. I said, what? What is that? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a new concept for me. There's several names, depending on who you ask. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was the name I was given at the time. I said, oh, oh, it's very interesting. So that was really my first thing. Went to university and I was, it was an interesting thing because I studied English at Exeter University. I was kind of told, not told, that's not true. I told myself, because of all this literature that we were reading, and everything didn't exist in a video, it existed on paper, that yeah. it, for poetry to be legitimate, it had to, be, had to exist on the page. Hmm. And so I did this interesting thing where I tried to spread myself across the entire spectrum of, of if we call it a spectrum, page and stage. And I told myself, if I'm to be legit, I need to be excellent at the page stuff, and the, the performance stuff is a nice little hobby that I, I, that you know, might be humoured, maybe by some people. But if I'm to be legit, if I'm to be recognised as, as a poet by the institutions, it has to be on the page. And but at the same time, I went to wonderful, uh, uh, a wonderful night called Taking the Mic down in Exeter, run by Tim King, performed I think for the first time there. And that was just lovely to, you know, it was a different experience to this idea that I had to write alone in my room and then send things off for publications Mm. to places I'd never really heard of before and hope for a reply, which I didn't really, I did maybe once or twice, really, even that, you know. And and on on the, during the holidays, I'd go back to Birmingham and I would, and, and that's where I kind of found out about apps and snakes (laughs) <laughs> you know that awesome organization and i met mm-hmm. bogdan piasetsky a wonderful poet based in birmingham who worked with apps and snakes at the time and was running hit the ode so i had to perform there as well and when i graduated i kind of went back up to birmingham and started to get more involved 
with the scene. Can you believe it? The first hit the yoda I went to, I can't remember who uh, everyone who's performing, but the two headlo- two of the headliners were Holly McNeish and Polar Bear. Oh wow! I, I was just, I just, okay, I came late for it as well. <laughs> you know, I was like, I guess I'll go to this event. I didn't yeah. want to go alone, so I went with my mum. Uh-huh. You know, it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, this really great guy is performing called Polar Bear. Uh-huh. Damn, I should have come a bit earlier. <laughs> so, so I think, and then things, um, but but started to take it more seriously from there. Perform more poems, which started to snowball into more gigs, and you know, thanks to some awesome organisations who really helped me at the time, like Apples and Snakes, Beat Freaks as well. It meant that I could also start to learn how to facilitate workshops and stuff like that. And so it's just very much snowballed from there. That's how I've got into it all. <laughs> yeah. I love that, and I know I've said this before, I love a good pun name for an event and taking the mic and hit the ode are both great. Right. Yes. Right. I love a good pun. Agreed. I've just got the pun of hit the ode, <laughs> as you've mentioned that it's a pun. I've heard what? that name a million times and I've only just realised that it's a pun. It, it took My me... slow yeah. brain. It took me like two or, two or three years. <laughs> wow. There's some listeners right now who are like, is it? It was a bit of a tradition before Bogdan went on the stage, they'd play hit the road, Jack. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. We needed to shut up in a second. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just <laughs> dropping that in there just in case people are sitting at home still wondering what. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what are what we talking the, about? The pun was. <laughs> I think there needs to be a comp- <coughs> uh, like a compilation put out of all the like intro musics from Poetry Nights. Yes. Like you can yeah. have that song from Boomerang. Yeah. You can have. Uh, we always have the final countdown at Genesis when we start. Yeah, nice. That's always quite nice. Excellent. Yeah. I love it. Amazing. So, like, a lot of your poetry involves kind of audience participation or at least kind of trying to create particular physical reactions in the audience. How do you go about doing that? And, and what makes you confident about having that level of control in the room that people are going to just do the thing that you're like, raise your hand, do it? <laughs> yeah, I think I know the poem you're talking about. Uh, raise your hand it starts as quite a beguiling thing where you know everyone's going to join in because mm-hmm. you don't know the poem's necessarily started yet unless you've heard it 50 times mm-hmm. which yeah. well, some of my friends really have uh, and then they know to dutifully raise their hand anyway <laughs> <laughs> but those who don't know the poem started yet I think it's a very what I get is a very genuine response to raise your hand if you feel uncomfortable talking about sex and people respond very genuinely. To be honest, I don't really expect people to continue with the rest of the gestures or actions or anything. People might do the first couple, the first five. Some people go all the way through. A lot of people just sit and enjoy the poem. I'm happy with any reaction. I'm actually just delighted and feel very... It's it's nice to be standing up on stage, going through a poem and then listening to someone's toes curl in their boots <laughs> or in their sandals. I'm very delighted when I notice things that I didn't think I'd notice, like someone closing their hand, making a fist at the pregnancy test line, just to themselves. And just any actions really are a bonus for me. It's, it's. I think maybe I just reduce my expectation. I, I, I'm not trying to get people to do things. I don't think they can respond to it however they want, if that answers your question. Mm. Years ago, we saw we saw you. Years ago, now we saw you at the Tate Modern where you were launching hers. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah. You oh, do, and you were doing you were doing po- these, those color poems. You remember oh, you yeah. asking people? You, they're in the pamphlet where you define or colors oh, yeah. in different ways. Yeah. And you were doing a lot of asking the audience about like, what's your favorite color? Remember and you that? know what? You're right. That is audience participation as well. Yeah. It's, yeah. yeah so Hertz is a pamphlet 
set in a world where we can see people's pain, basically, and everyone's pain. Uh, everyone, well, particular pain has a type of colour. So. Different colour, yeah. Yeah, so I ask people in the audience, what colour are we feeling today? And some people shut up and say nothing. <laughs> some people will start with the, you know, blue, red, orange, relatively well-known colours. And then from there, all, all part of that poem, part of the act is to be wanky and pretentious and, and say, <laughs> oh, uh, well, <laughs> blue, well, my colour is... And then just some kind of really complex, like cerulean, like cerulean. yeah. Which is like so deep, you might not get it. <laughs> this idea of like, oh, I see your pain. I see your pain, I see your blue. Mine! <laughs> My pain is cerulean! And then, it depends on the night. Depending on the audience, you know, people will just name name another colour. Some people mm. then try to get a bit clever, and they'll say, like, yeah, cute, I didn't know that was a colour! Ori, you, you, you would have caught me out, I, I wouldn't even know Damn. what to one-up you with, because mm. I don't even know what shade that is. Or some, some someone says duck egg blue, Ooh. And and I'm like, that's excellent. I did a comedy night once, and you know, and, and it's nice when you just the, the banter escalates a little bit, and we're all kind of having a bit of a joke along. I think once, I don't. I think someone didn't realise that I was joking, so they said like <laughs> duck egg blue, and then I'm like, <laughs> okay then, trying to be smart. Well, my colour, and they just didn't laugh they just stared at me oh, no. I'm like no. oh no I'm so sorry I didn't mean it it's all in jest it's all love here anyway um, they did realise they were at a comedy night right it, that one wasn't a comedy night maybe that was oh, my okay. mistake no I think uh, everyone the thing is everyone else was laughing but no, no. <laughs> there's no accounting for some people Jasmine it's okay <laughs> if you're out there I love you I thought your dog egg blue was a great contribution so yeah so I think just asking I think I think the way it's it's a bit manipulative isn't it just asking very disarming questions questions that aren't too whatever deep or whatever and and going from there and bringing the audience along in the conversation I do enjoy poems where it's written by myself and like the 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 audience i like those because then it means that you're mm. not performing the same poem again and again like every time I, I perform raise your hand the first poem that you mentioned rebecca it's it's, it's a new poem every time it's a collective experience yeah. that's why i enjoy performing it so much and the same with that the, the, the colors one as well and we, we make the poem together which is really cool i think partially because we, we think about all the tools that we have in the performance mm. the audience mm. is a tool <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we talk about hand gestures and eyes and breath and posture, but the audience is also there as a tool to use. So, yeah, yeah. use them. You hope they're there anyway. Yeah, sometimes they're not. Like I have done those poems over Zoom, and it's it's a, a nice, interesting challenge. How how has it been adapting to? I've I've just assumed that you've that you've mm. adapted to it and just been like, yeah, I'm just gonna. Yeah. Just gonna move into being online with gigs for the last couple of years. Like, how has that been for you? Sometimes it's great because it means that instead of rolling like across the country, you can roll over to <laughs> your laptop, especially for like assemblies, where uh-huh. like school assemblies, where it's it's mm. I, I'm not very good with. It. So it's it's nice to be able to just be in front of my laptop. And there are advantages to doing Zoom. Obviously, you've got your words right there. And for me, that that's the biggest thing. It's just making sure that, like, 
I know my words. And if your words are right there, then you're all good. The other thing is also, you, it's just sometimes it's nice to play with having the the control of the camera and the intimacy hmm. of just being on Zoom. It's a different type of performance, and it's nice to play with that. But I miss, yeah, I think we've all like missed just being on a stage. I miss the audience reaction, and like I miss hmm. seeing people's faces because I think, and I think it's. it's absolutely the way people need to like i do this too if i'm attending a zoom gig sometimes i'm eating while i'm watching it and i don't want people to see me slurping my spaghetti so i turn off my my zoom uh, my camera and so naturally when i'm performing sometimes i'm performing to people who are have got the cameras off and that's fine like this is how they need to be but i do miss i just love being in that room and Mm. feeling everyone's collective energy and mm. reactions and then the chatting afterwards yes mm. that there's no yeah. substitute for that yeah uh, just bumping into people having those conversations doing the awkward are you hugging no uh, yeah let's do it <laughs> i miss that i miss that a lot so it's been mm. nice to like slowly get back into that but you have been doing it again with dancing to the music you hate, right? Correct. And it's been incredibly, incredibly rewarding to do that. And you feel, that feels, yeah, I've really appreciated being in a room with people. I think I, I, I really want to be open-hearted when I do that, that show. So it's been really nice to share rooms with people in it. Yeah. I saw Dancing to Music You Hate at the Verve Poetry Festival in Birmingham and it was fucking fantastic it's such a good show and i absolutely loved it but it involves like obviously the thing about doing it live is it's not just a live audience you've got a live band with you as well who were absolutely brilliant how did you create the music to accompany the pieces like were you part of that process or did they kind of just riff along to you how did that work and and i wondered sort of does adding music you know once you've added it has that kind of changed your perception or understanding of the poem once it's kind of set to music so there was an awesome night before the pandemic it happened for a few years in Birmingham called Funkin' Teleki, which was run by Jack Crow. And that's merged jazz and poetry together. <laughs> that was my first experimentation with poetry and music, and I loved it. It just, it just, it was like an adrenaline shot in my brain, and it made me very excited about the idea of doing poetry with music. There's another night called Mouthpieces run run by Joe Cook, where again, a house band will create music to go with a poem. Mm -hmm. So after a couple of gigs like this, just over over a few years, I thought, I wanna do more with this. I I wanna start writing poems that has to exist with the music. Like, you know, where, where, because we get a lot and these are sick and I love these and this yeah. happened a lot and I do these too. We get a lot of poetry or rap, right? And then we get a track underneath it. And it's like two independent layers of music and text that happen mm. without without intermingling in really integral ways that mean that one can't exist without the other. Mm. And mm. I thought, what would happen if I wrote music where it need 
sorry, where I wrote poetry where it needed music, where the music was essential, was in direct conversation with the poetry and vice versa. I really wanted to see, I wanted to see if like, because I just find that really interesting, you know? So I started to like play around with that a bit. I applied for a Developing Your Creative Practice Grant, the Arts Council, in order to help me pay musicians to get into a room with me and entertain my silly little ideas, which mm-hmm. sound ridiculous when I talk about them before they they become realised. So... I got the funding, which was wonderful, and then I just started to jam with different musicians in a room and try different things out, and you, you'll see those pieces in uh, the show. So, as, you, as you'll know from the show, um, there's a lot of direct conversations between me as the poet and the musicians. Mm. So, you know, I, I have a couple of discussions slash arguments with a saxophone. So I ask questions in human English and the saxophone replies in saxophone, for example, or, or or just things like that, where they are quite intertwined. So for me, I think your question was, how how did the music come about? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So it had, it basically, I wrote the poems first, but I had an idea about how I wanted the music to go. I also yeah. had this silly kind of idea that I wanted to combine Celtic sounds with dubstep because I love I love Celtic sound I love Celtic influences Afro-Celt sound system and I also love dubstep and I was, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say is Celtic dubstep something you've invented then because I was like I, probably, I hadn't actually really heard of it I don't before know. I think there must be people who've done it yeah. before you know but it's not basically I didn't have a cult there was no Celtic dubstep band for me to no. to to recruit so I, I decided to put different yeah. musicians together so it definitely was definitely a vision of mine where I wanted that creative control over the the music but when I put these musicians together and they are awesome so we've got Job mm-hmm. Baker Sullivan who's an Irish music specialist but f- plays 50 instruments we have two musicians a, a drummer and a DJ from alternative dubstep orchestra who are the drums obviously and the DJ we had a trumpeter, Sam Worcester, who is a genius. <laughs> genius who also like uses his trumpet to play like electronics and stuff like that, and electronic effects. It's just oh, amazing. And we have a saxophonist, Zosa Cole, who's a previous BBC Jazz Musician of the Year, and he's like a wunderkind, basically, <laughs> on the saxophone. And I was very scared going to the space, not really knowing, like where to start I'm like right I kind of want mm-hmm. music that s- <laughs> sounds like this and I want it to be dubsteppy and then like Damo the drummer Damo Wilding he just like comes out with these great just this and I'm like yes this is what I want <laughs> yes you're doing the thing that's in my brain yes. yeah I mean that thing. oh yeah and putting putting like this like classic dubstep beat to one of my oldest poems, Dancing to Music You Hate, and it just sounds sick. And so so they were real essential part of the music process. Cause sometimes it's really hard to pull a riff from out of your ass. You know? But as soon as you hear some drums, or as soon as you hear like a bit of violin or a bit of trumpet doing something, they they were incredibly like so we all had some kind of scaffolding, we all kind of added on to it. I owe a lot mm. I owe a lot to these musicians. I know it's like I've got my face on the flyer and it's the jazz mini show. But it's it's <laughs> I owe a lot to the musicians 
these wonderful musicians because they were so part of making the figments of my imagination like real and to make them legit and to make them not sound shit and they <laughs> are like I feel like I've got the best musicians in the universe because I, I don't think I always appreciate to be honest just how good they are yeah and like yeah uh, and and like they had so you had an open mic before your show mm -hmm. and they were just riffing along to people and some of them you were like okay and some of it it really worked like it was so good yeah like they can just do that ad hoc yeah which is incredible amazing and I think because the Tung Fu band are so good at doing that we take for granted that all musicians can do that no (laughs) no you can't it takes seriously quality (laughs) serious quality musicians to do that I think, but the interesting thing as well is they didn't just help make the silly Celtic dubstep idea in my head sound good. They also validated my ideas. You know, walking into a rehearsal space, I didn't know many of them that well. And I'm saying, I want to do this thing, which is poetry, which you don't... For me, like, music is like... Like poetry on steroids and is hencher and better looking and <laughs> <laughs> I think we all think that yeah. we're the dweebs right. in the corner it's fine literally I was the dweeb I felt like the dweeb amongst these giants these really cool DJs and oh. well, almost any poet we speak to on this podcast you're like how did you get into poetry and they're like I wanted to be a singer or a musician mm. or in some way involved in music and somehow ended up doing poetry instead yeah interesting yeah actors definitely that was yeah so what was lovely is that and you don't see this you don't see this in the final show you don't see me saying okay so when I get to this line because you do a, a, a little flourish and then <laughs> and then I'm going to say this line and they're laughing with it and they're like oh wicked oh I like that or you know and that is such a part of the devising process to know that your work is okay that you are okay that your your yeah. stuff is valid that that your that your stuff is believed in and especially because the, the show explores gender identity which is something that I hadn't really articulated as as a as a gender questioning person I'd not really even articulated this to my family I was just like just dishing out these poems one by one in the rehearsal rooms about gender identity and them, you know, them just quietly listening to it, responding to it and saying, yeah, I think that's my favourite poem of yours in in the whole show or whatever. And it's just Mm. wonderful and validating. Yeah. And I think there are moments in the show where you're quite vulnerable on stage and you are saying, look, I don't know the answer but this and I'm talking about me and I don't know the answer. And Mm. I, I, I kind of wondered, like, how do you go about approaching kind of writing that knowing you're going to do it on stage but then also does that kind of change during a show that you perform multiple times i think that the first the first times were definitely the hardest no that's not the right word the most exposing and vulnerable and this is before i really had any conversations to my parents about being trans so the show was kind of a vehicle for being able to uh, it was a conversation starter to be able to actually have that conversation <laughs> um so it, I think, yeah, much more vulnerable the, the first time or two where I'm like, I, I don't even, I don't even know if this, if this show like works. I don't know whether yeah. it makes sense. Are you bored yet? All those things. So, <laughs> but now I think, in like a more recent performance in February, 
it's like actually I know that this show says something because of what people have said to me about what it's done and I know yeah I know it has value and mm. so maybe I enter a little bit of a different vulnerability mm. Mm. where I'm like I'm not I'm not necessarily going to like die from this vulnerability <laughs> but, which is good it's healthy vulnerability I think what I'm really happy about is that I, I think I think that's definitely my most vulnerable on stage I'm definitely at a time when I am um, so vulnerable or and yeah I think it takes a lot of work that has nothing to do with poetry in order to do yeah. that it took me yeah. like many epiphanies over lockdown much therapy over Zoom in order to get a place of, I think it's very reflective of real life where I was not actually being vulnerable in my relationships and I was not being vulnerable in yeah my connections and learning how vulnerability is going to mean trust <laughs> and true connection for other people and that's actually one of the points of the, the show is that idea of we need to be vulnerable if we feel safe doing so and when we're ready about these parts of ourself and um, talking about these parts of ourselves with our family or the people closest to us sometimes if we because then what we might get is something beautiful this this stronger connection I won't disclose who but I was very honored when somebody said that they watched my show and were particularly struck by the bit saying that maybe I am denying my family a deeper connection by not sharing mm. this with them because I'm too terrified to mm. and that it's what prompted them to come out to their own family. Wow. So, oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, I'm very honoured by that. Oh, wow. Well, it doesn't go much higher than that, does it? We usually finish our interviews these days, Jasmine, by asking if you have a piece of writing advice for our audience. And then we like to ask you if you've got any plugs and if you'd do us a little poem. I have to just say I loved the advice that Selena Godin gave a few months ago, a few episodes ago, saying don't take <laughs> advice. Trust your instincts. I think we don't don't do that well enough, like often enough. Like trust your darn instincts. There's a reason why you're like yeah, no, that you you have this creative energy inside of you. Trust it. So I just want to firstly reinforce that. Secondly, this is not so much creative, more practical. <sighs> Turn off the Wi-Fi on your phone. <laughs> turn it the fuck off just turn it off more often in order for you to be more creative and I don't just mean when you want creative time you know like turn off your wifi on your phone and then like do lots of writing and then turn it back on when you're finished writing I mean turn it off for longer stretches of time throughout your day and all week because that's when your ideas start to germinate a lot of things get uh, written on the train or you know when we're watching the world go by or, or we've got a bit of loose space in our brain the same way you know Hannah you're mentioning like going on bike rides phone is doing GPS I cannot dick about on YouTube right <laughs> we just need our own brains sometimes this is hell this is actually connected to Selena's advice we need a, we need to be connected to our brains more so I mean I'm very extreme so I my Wi-Fi is off on Sundays entirely just so I can have just... And I don't expect to do anything creative on Sundays. I just do fuck all. <laughs> uh, uh, mental rest. Right. Self-employed freelancing means that you've, you've got to impose your own time off. But also, at the, every night during the weekday, I turn off... Just before I go to sleep, I turn off my Wi-Fi and I do not turn it on again until 5pm the next day. 
And that means that I wake up and I feel like I'm like amongst tweeting birds and blue skies <laughs> and flowers. And I've just got my own headspace. I guess that because I'm quite an introvert, that really suits me. And it means that like, the first thing I do in the morning is I write after like, you know, breakfast, meditation. And I think I, I recommend this because a lot of people say that they, they don't have much time or they can't find the time to write regularly. And mm. like it fell to the bottom of my priority list too for a long mm. time. I was doing everything that requires being a poet, planning workshops, writing emails, going to gigs, but I wasn't actually writing mm. poetry. And when we had we, the work on social media or browsing or scrolling, that work is never done. So turn mm. it off, <laughs> spend more time on the amazing gadget that is your brain. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, and do you have anything you want to plug? Dancing to Music You Hate is Ooh. my poetry beatboxing Celtic dubstep show about gender identity. <laughs> so our, our next date is poetry uh, Ledbury Poetry Festival in July. I believe it is going to be the... Looking at my calendar... The 6th of July in Ledbury. Would you believe? And there will be a whole bunch of other um, gigs coming up in the next year. So please look out for it. I'd love you to see it. Amazing. <laughs> and uh, where can our audience find out more about you? So um, my website um, is jasminegardosi.com. On Facebook, you know, Facebook page, uh, Jasmine Gardosi Poet. Twitter, I'm at Jasmine Gardosi. <laughs> Instagram, I'm at Jasmine Gardosi. It really helps to have a nice, unique name, doesn't it? Yeah, I've never had to be one of those Jasmine 91 or something like that. <laughs> so that, that's where you can find me. I'm also on YouTube. I don't tend to have the best poems of mine on my channel. Just type in Jasmine Gardosi and you'll find the stuff on Button Poetry or on mm -hmm. PBS. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, my channel needs some love. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Could you play us out with another poem? Yes, indeed. I was wondering which poem to do to finish on. I thought I will do one from my show. It's inspired by a poet and just artist, an amazing person called Luke Vade Menon, who is just wonderful and has inspired a lot of the ideas in this poem. <clears throat> Have you ever felt the beat of your own drum? but didn't let yourself dance to it. Just sat there, arms tight against side, immobile, to not give yourself away. Never felt that. Doesn't it suck to deny something that swells inside you? Is it just a trans thing? Or does who you are also hit the ceiling and walls of what you're expected to be? Is it just me and my genderqueer ass? Or have you, too, ever felt like you were failing some aspect of man? Of woman? What if you don't have to be gender questioning in order to question gender? 
What if you don't have to be transitioning to transcend into more than what they wanted of you? What if you are not a waste of a woman? What if you are man enough? What if your softness is not a disappointment? What if your sensitivity is not an exception to the rule? What if your dress sense is not absurd? What if your desires are not an anomaly? What if there are as many ways of being a woman as there are women? What if there are as many ways of being a man as there are men? What if you are everything you are supposed to be? What if there are as many genders in this room as there are people? What if there are as many genders in this world as there are people? What if we're all transitioning into a wholer understanding of ourselves? What if we're all just a little bit on the way back to ourselves? Trans or not? Questioning or not? I wish you gender euphoria. And I wish you gender euphoria. And I wish you gender euphoria. I wish you purpose. I wish you belonging. I wish you brightness. I wish you excitement. You too deserve to recognize the parts you still perform. And the parts that make you tired. And the parts that you take pride in. The parts that make you walk upright, chest out, in a room full of strangers who don't know who you are, who don't need to. I wish you the permission to explore, to trust yourself, to look your shame in the face and say, I see you for what you are. And I wish you to see yourself for what you are. You too deserve to feel your body as the home that it is. I wish you gender euphoria and I wish you gender euphoria and I wish you gender euphoria and I wish you that moment and the joy of the motion afterwards when the penny on who you are drops and you can just follow where it rolls. This month's book is Rebel Without Applause by Lem Sisse, which was chosen by Rebecca. So Rebecca, why did you choose this book? I chose this book because I impulse bought it uh, a few weeks ago and Laurie said, what book are we doing? And I went, this one. <laughs> no, and I kind of, I bought it because, one, the title's great. It is <laughs> It's a, a really good title. But also Lem C. Say is one of those names that I've just heard a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I feel like he's kind of in that, like we were saying about Raymond Antrobus last month, that he's kind of one of those poets that has sort of ascended into the kind of Guardian readers have heard of him sort of thing. He's been on Radio 4 quite a bit. Mm-hmm. He wrote a really good yeah. piece, which I've quoted several times in, I think it was The Independent, about poetry for funerals. Um, 
And he was saying that his piece of advice for people is rather than doing a poem about death or loss or grief Mm. at a funeral, Mm. do a poem about the thing the person was interested in. If they like football, do a football poem. If they like music, do a poem about music. Don't, yeah. And I just thought it was such good advice. And it's it's the sort of thing that kind of I've said to other people in similar contexts, like, yeah. So I I saw the name and saw the the book and I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd actually like to read some of his work. So yeah. That was a taster for our book club mini episode, which will be out later this month, wherever you get your podcasts. Now it's time for the notice board, where we spotlight 10-ish opportunities to look out for, where you can perform your work or submit it for publication, and also just stuff we think is cool. Rebecca, do you want to kick us off? Yes, indeed. So the Nottingham Poetry Festival is on from Friday the 6th of May to Sunday the 15th of May. And they look like they've got a really good lineup. It's just, yeah, a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff on. Uh, Joelle Taylor's going to be doing some stuff from Kanto, which is nice. an amazing collection and we love it. There's a Simon Armitage's band is playing. There's a masterclass with Panya, the poet, who it just seems great. The Poetry Takeaway is going to be at Snenton Market. Oh, yeah, nice. lots of really, really good stuff going on there. Leanne Moden will be doing uh, Midlands Mix-Ups. It'll be her and Jamie Thrasivalu at the Antenna on the 9th of May. Malaika's Poetry Kitchen are going to be doing a workshop. In fact, Hannah Gordon is doing a haiku workshop. Now, Hannah is the queen of haiku. She she, she does a fabulous job. That's at Lakeside Arts Centre on the 10th of May. Um, and Leanne Moan's doing a couple of things. So yeah, there's loads on. And Michael Rosen as well. Hey. There's loads of shit going yes. on. If you're in the kind of Midlands area, check it out. It looks like an absolutely great event. You can find out more about that at nottinghampoetryfestival.com. Then we've also got the Poetry London Prize, which is now open. First prize, £5,000. Second prize, £2,000. Third prize, £1,000. Plus uh, publication in Poetry London. That closes on 30th of June. Competition is open to poets anywhere in the world. Entries must be in English, your own unaided work, and not a translation. Must not have been previously published in print or online, or won a prize in another competition. Maximum length is 80 lines. So this is... Yeah, it's, it's very open to spoken wordy poems or indeed writers of, you know, epic, yeah. Ballads. Uh, yes. Longer pieces, maybe. Up, up to. Up to yes, being the yeah. key. It doesn't have to be. Uh, you may enter as many poems as you wish. Uh, it's £4 per poem. Oh, sorry, £8 for non-Poetry London subscribers. And there, But there are... Um, free entries available for writers on low incomes so yeah for more information about that go to poetrylondon.co.uk forward slash competition hannah what have you got for us so i've only got two of them but they are both free to enter and also long (laughs) which i much much like the (laughs) other one there's always the kind of 42 lines or less where did how did you arrive at 42 or 45 lines and I recommend writing lots of sonnets about Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> so, if you've not been writing sonnets, these two opportunities have a lot in common, but they are different opportunities. One is Spectrum wants poetry celebrating identity, poems about marginalisation and otherness, and that you're only allowed to submit one poem, but it can be up to 100 lines. So take your shot, folks. And they are 
winning entries and sort of shortlisted entries are also probably going to be in an anthology. It's published by Re- Renard Press, R-E-N-A-R-D, which is breaking my brain because my government name is like that but different. And that is open until Saturday <laughs> the 21st of May. And if you go to renardpress.com, you can find out more. Free to enter and... The, the the absolute winner will get 200 quid but also yes publication opportunities and the other one which i have mentioned here before but it's still open and it's so fucking good is the annual creative future writers awards which is again free to enter open to any writers from underrepresented groups so ethnicity sexuality class backgrounds mental health issues any kind of disability and poem should be on the theme of how it started 50 lines max and the winners get monies but also mentoring so again this is this is an investment type mm. yeah it's not just a pat on the head it's like and potentially a, <laughs> some some help from people who really know what they're doing and so that's creativefuture.org to find out more Crazy Future Singular. And apart from that, Insight is an awesome monthly open mic night for queers run by yours truly. But straight allies are extremely welcome in the audience. And if people would like to be on the mailing list where you just get sent the Zoom link once a month, I do not spam people. Get in touch with me. You can be far outside of London because we're online most of the time. Excellent. Laurie, what have you got for us? So we've got a few things this month, starting with the Bridport Prize, which is a prize um, for poetry for 42 lines maximum of non-published work. First prize is 5k. I'll raise those other poetry prizes that were like 1k, 2k. This one's 5k, though you don't get any mentoring. Any nationality writing in English. The deadline closes at midnight on the 31st of May, and you can find out more details on bridportprize.org. Secondly, from me this month, uh, Fly on the Wall Press have got a call out for submissions for an anthology called Demos Rising, and that's open until 14. That's up to 70 lines of poetry. And the definition that they put up on their website says, in an era of post-truth, fake news and misinformation, those are all in inverted commas, the right to protest, the right to a democratic society feel more urgent than ever for the anthology Demos Rising. They'll be raising the voices of international writers and artists across genres and oceans to draw attention to worldwide injustices and celebrate the power of words to bring about change. You can find full details for that on flyonthewallpress.co.uk. I think you might have to have bought one of their books in the last 12 months in order to submit to the anthology. I recommend The Pretty Boys of Gangster Town by Martin Gray on that press if you want, if you're looking for one. It's a good little pamphlet, and Martin's done a few poems, I think, on on our show in the past. Also, I really want to plug... So, obviously, our notice board is great, Mm -hmm. but another place that's really good as a resource for finding out about further writing opportunities is a blog run by the poet Angela Carr, and that is angelatcarr.wordpress.com. Every month she's been doing an amazing job of uploading just a big old list of here is where is open for submissions, here is where is not open for submissions with deadlines. It's great, really worth checking out. Um, if you're not already bookmark that page, I would be doing that right now. But the main one from us this month is the Whoa. Vogon Slam, which is our annual celebration of bad geeky and bad geeky poetry (laughs) which this month is going to be running on douglas adams birthday the 25th of may and it's going to be all online this year which we were last year and worked really well and basically it's a big uh slam in which we have up to 12 slammers doing the 
worst, most god-awful poetry that they can think of. We'll probably be doing some bad poems ourselves if you want to come <laughs> along and watch us do bad poetry online. But if you fancy sharing one, there are there is still space to register your interest. You can do that up until the 14th of May by posting a gif of a fish on our Facebook event, which is Vogon Slam 2022. You can find the details on our Facebook page. We'll also be plugging it on our Twitter and other social media. We'll also be having as a feature the reigning Vogon Slam champion Tim Kiley, who won last year, and there's a chance that his alter ego Anonymous Bosch <laughs> might be making a return for the second year running. So if you're interested in signing up to take part, check out our Facebook event. And if you're interested in getting tickets, you can find them on Eventbrite. Again, the best thing to do is to look up the Facebook event first, and that'll give you everything you need to go and buy get a ticket on Eventbrite. I say buy, they're free, but you do need to register for a ticket in order to attend. And that's it. Come and see us. We'll be looking forward to it. One thing I absolutely love about the Vogon Poetry Slam is there is the John Waters quote about to have bad taste, you have to have really, very good taste to work out what very bad taste is. The fact that a lot of our Vogon Poetry Slam winners are also mm-hmm. slam champions delights me. <laughs> like, by working yes. out what is the worst, mm-hmm. you're probably really quite good at it. It is an awesome fun night. And I'm delighted also that people like Robin Lamble and Alexander Woody Woodward are still using Vogon Poetry Slam Champion in their bios to this day. They are they are proud of that title and <laughs> rightfully so. <laughs> and Who wouldn't be? You've got to own it. You've got to own it. So in a moment, we're going to have a poem from Ken Cumberledge to play us out. But before we do, is there anything you guys want to plug? Sure, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Laurie Eves Poet, L-A-U-R-I-E-E-A-V-E-S Poet, or on Twitter at Mr Leaves. My book Biceps is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on Buried Vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, laurieeves.com, and stream the audio version wherever you stream audio. Also, I've been selling cassettes this month. Like, I've sold three this month. What's going on? People want the cassettes all of a sudden. If you want a cassette, get on it, because there's only <laughs> a few left. Hannah, how about you? You can find me on all the social medias as Hannah Chutzpah or Hannah underscore Chutzpah or whatever to that effect. On Facebook, my page is Hannah Chutzpah Poet. And I have books for sale. If you go to my website, hannahutzpah.com, and go to the shop tab, you can find where you can purchase. In fact, I've gotten to organising the boxes under my bed recently, so... I'm like five sales away from getting rid of one of the boxes. So if you could please like help me organise and streamline my life, <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. I have got two permeable, which is published by Burning Eye Books, and a smaller pamphlet called Sign My Citalopram, which is published by Rainbow Heron Trust. Amazing. You can find me on uh, Twitter and TikTok as at Rebecca K. Cooney, on Instagram as at any name but Becky, and my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com, and I'm Rebecca Cooney Poet on Facebook. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram as at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook as Dead Darlings Podcast, and you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you've liked what you heard on the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. Before we share Ken's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to him for letting us showcase his work. Thank you to our guests this month, Jasmine Gardosi, to my co-hosts Hannah and Laurie, to Texas Radio for our theme music. And of course, to you guys for listening. 
Bye. Bye. Our poem of the month this month is by Ken Cumberledge and it was first published on the American poetry website Rat's Ass Review in their winter 2017 issue. It's called Gaze. I caught your gaze. Put it in a jam jar with the labels slithered off. Wrote gaze in felt tip on the lid and snuck it somewhere safe, high on a shelf. A silly thing to do, I know. Forgive me. I was young, in love, and being in love, afraid. Trying to make provision. Insurance of a kind against a time when you might look and there'd be nothing in your eyes but sight. Then I'd reach me down the jar, wash the dust off, hold it up, let it catch the light, your image filtered through the glass. Pretend. But now, the two of us have come so far, known many changes of address, lost key after key, and unsurprisingly, with all the packing and unpacking, I've no idea where it's ended up. Forgotten, maybe, or mislaid. In the wrong box. Anyway, astray. I don't even know if it still exists. That is what you were asking, wasn't it? Why, nowadays, I spend so much time tidying the attic. <laughs>